Amen. Amen. You can be seated. As you take your seat, would you give it up again for the worship team, for your peers? Always so appreciative of them leading us in, in song every Sunday. Uh, we have another guest preacher here this evening at the gathering. Her name is Reverend Ebony Small. Give it up for her. She's right here. She is uh, employed by an organization called movement.org. You can go to the website, movement.org, <laughs> or movementday.org, and you can learn more about uh, exactly what that is. Uh, she has a degree, a master's degree, from Alliance Theological Seminary, which is a part of Nyack College in upstate New York. Kinda. Okay, kinda, kinda in the area. Um, and she's awesome, and so would you give it up for her as she brings the word? We're still in Judges, so she's gonna be in Judges. <laughs> Praise the Lord, y'all give it up for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Reverend James Ellis, since we're using titles here tonight. But it's been amazing to spend time with him and his wife, Raynetta, on this weekend. It's great to be with you all. I heard we're competing against some basketball tonight, but um, I guess depending on what side of the fence you're on, go Michigan State or maybe not, I don't know. But um, we're grateful to be in the house of God um, tonight as part of this chapel service. I brought a friend with me, one of my young people from Bethel Gospel Assembly, where I get to serve as an elder, Michelle Clark. And I'm so grateful she's here with me and that her husband loaned her out for a little bit. But um, we get to be here, and it's an honor to be here. This is my first time in Michigan. Um, so I'm excited about that. And I came at the right time where there's no snow because I don't like snow at all. And you guys get a different kind of snow than we get in New York City. Um, but it's a, an awesome opportunity uh, to be here and to come here all the way from New York. But we're going to jump right into the scriptures. I know time is before us. And um, it's amazing that you all are in Judges 19. Many people do not study the Old Testament. Um, but the Old Testament is a part of the Bible. And some folks just choose to skip to the New Testament. But the covenant that we are engrafted into is both old and new. And so God's word is still amazing and powerful and active. I'm going to be focusing tonight on verses 17 through 21. Um, I realize that you're coming towards the end of your study here. And so I'm just going to read this scripture in our hearing. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It's one of my translations of choice. Um, and the Bible says, and if you have your Bible on your phone with us, you're more than welcome to turn with me. The word of the Lord says this, when he saw the travelers sitting in the town square, he asked them where they were from and where they were going. We have been in Bethlehem in Judah, the man replied. We are on our way to a remote area in the hill country of Ephraim, which is my home. I traveled to Bethlehem and now I'm returning home. But no one has taken us in for the night, even though we have everything we need. We have straw and feed for our donkeys and plenty of bread and wine for ourselves. You are welcome to stay with me, the old man said. I will give you anything you might need, but whatever you do, don't spend the night in the square. So he took them home with him and fed the donkeys, and they washed their feet. They ate and drank together. Let me pray for us. Father, we're just so grateful unto you tonight that we have been called into the kingdom for such a time as this. What an honor it is, Lord, to sit at your feet 
and to hear of your word. Your word declares that the Bible and these words of scripture are sharper than any double-edged sword, that they have come to pierce both bone and marrow. And Father, there is indeed a word that you want to release into our hearts tonight. So would you open up our spirit ears that we might hear you? Would you open up our eyes, Father, that we would see? And I pray that as your word goes forth, our hearts would truly burn within us. And we would be able to declare together, surely we have been in the presence of the Lord. So we thank you even now for this time of sharing and partaking of your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I have been um, so privileged to have some amazing mentors um, in my life, spiritual mentors, uh, professional mentors. It's, it's, it's something that I'm open to. Um, as a younger leader, I'm 39. I'll be turning 40 this year. And I feel like you can never get beyond a place of needing a mentor. And one of my mentors, I call her a spiritual mom, and my mom says it's okay to call someone else mom, but she's a spiritual mother to me, and she has many sayings. But one thing that particularly sticks with me is this. You can't put a price tag on peace. You can't put a price tag on peace. And as I have navigated various uh, spaces and places in, in life, I have found these words to be a thousand percent right for me. There is no amount of money that you could ever pay for peace. When you get to this place of understanding the peace of God, the peace which the Bible talks about that surpasses all understanding, even when there could be tumultuous situations that are going on around us, but there's something about the peace of God that permeates us from the inside out and lets us know that God is in control, all is not lost, and that God is still with me. The peace of God, his resolve, his rest, his certainty is something that I have come to use as a compass in life. And it's become a barometer for how I make life decisions. And I'm always asking myself, where is God in this continuum of decisions and choices that are always before me? Where is the provision of his peace? Do I find rest when I'm thinking about making a decision or is there something that causes trepidation within me? Because wherever God is, I know I can find the provision of his promises. There's a portion of scripture that's so familiar for us in Psalm 91, verses 1 through 2. And it says this, and this is in the New International Version. It says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. So this phenomena of entering the rest of God. It is a spiritual place, but it is also a physical place that we can enter into and that we can dwell in as we learn to walk on this journey with God. And it's an amazing place that we can dwell and inhabit no matter what the situations or the circumstances are around us. There can be rest in God because I know his word for me. I know his will for me. I know his promises are yea and amen. And I don't have to fret because of whatever the situations around me might be causing to conjure up in my life. And so as a people of God, we are also citizens of God's kingdom. And being a citizen of God's kingdom, there's a desire that drives me, and it's this, that I want to dwell and take rest wherever God is. 
If God is not there, if I can't sense his presence there, if I don't feel his anointing there, and if I don't feel a call of God to be there, I have learned to not want to desire to be in those places. I don't know how many of you have ever visited New York City by a show of hands. How many of you have ever been there? Okay, a few of you. So you guys know that traffic is insane. Our yellow cab drivers are from a different planet. They don't adhere to the rules and regulations of driving. They stop in the middle of the street. They let passengers out and hit your car. I mean, it's, it's just a whole big circus, I find, in the roads of New York City. And the trains are not much different. You can get entertainment on the train. You can buy things on the train. I mean, things that you didn't expect to experience are all there. So in my desire to preserve my own peace, um, I choose to drive to to work um, when I am in the city and heading to our offices at movement.org. And unlike you all, where everything is about five minutes away, my drive to work one way can take me sometimes up to two hours because of the amount of traffic um, in the city. And so because I want peace and I seek to preserve my peace, you know, I drive all the way because I'd rather do that and entertain my own self versus listening to the other types of entertainment that can go on in this lovely city that I'm a part of. But I daily use a GPS system called Waze, and I don't know how many of you ever access Waze because I know Waze is going to get me to my destination the fastest. But as with any type of GPS system, you have to enter in your starting point and you enter into your final destination and it determines the course that you are to take. Now, if you don't enter in the necessary information, you probably very well will get to where you need to be, but you might take routes that are unnecessary and prolong your ability to get to where you need to be. And so as I think about the scriptures, and I think about the scriptures that we just read about this Levite that was on a journey, there's a question that has resonated with me that was also in that passage that we just read. And it is, where are you? It's the same three words that God asked of Adam in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. As the Lord returned to the garden after Adam and Eve had eaten of the fruit from the tree. And they were hiding and ashamed because by eating of that fruit, they had entered into a place of disobedience against God. And they realized that they were naked. And here they are hiding from God. God who is omnipresent and omniscient that knows all things, sees all things. But sometimes the allure of sin can fool us into thinking that there are places to that we could go where God cannot reach. And so here they are hiding from God and God begins to walk about in the garden and he calls out to the man and he says, where are you? And he wasn't asking of them where were they because he didn't know where they were. He was asking of them, where are you? Because I believe that what God was calling out to was, where are you on that continuum of obedience that I set you out on? A command that I had given you to follow me, to walk in obedient commands of my words, but you have entered into this place of disobeying that command. So now where are you in the spectrum of obeying God in your heart? And as God asked of Adam that question, and as I pondered this scripture in my heart, I believe that tonight God also asked us the same. Where are we in our pursuit of obeying the promises of God? Their decision to disobey God within an instant changed the course of their direction. 
Now, this represents one of, I believe, our very first lessons as believers in that there's always a price to be paid for disobedience. Yes, God is full of mercy, and yes, God is full of grace. And sometimes we can use the grace and mercy of God as a license to do some things that we know we're not supposed to do because we just believe that the power of time and life is going to be in our hands, that the Lord would allow us that opportunity to say, God, forgive me, cover me because of what I have done. But yes, the Bible is also clear and that even though we have grace and mercy, we also can't mock the justice of God because the Bible says that we will always harvest what we plant. We will reap what we sow. We will either reap from our obedience or our disobedience. There's no exception. And as we look back to this passage of scripture in Judges 19, and we hear the scriptures refer to this man as a Levite, but also the scriptures begin to speak of different identities. And depending upon your translation, you might see different names. So this man was referred to as a Levite, as a husband, a son-in-law, and a master, and in some translations, a wayfarer. And what I believe and what I have come to understand about life is that our identity is tied to our direction. Our identity is tied to the choices that we make and the decisions that we make either in our pursuit of obedience to God or in our pursuit of a desire to fulfill our own wants and needs. So here this Levite descending from the Levitical priest to the part of the 12 tribes of Israel was a husband which speaks to the carrier of covenant he was a son-in-law, which speaks to the familial inheritance which he bore. And he was also a master, which denotes him as one of authority. Three things, covenant, inheritance, and authority, all defined this man's identity as well as his starting point. Now, we understand as we have studied the Old Testament that the people of God would enter into various places that the Lord would give them as an inheritance. A part of being a part of the 12 tribes of Israel and in this pursuit of God's covenant and in pursuit of God's promise was the desire to be dwelling in the place where God said was your possession. And so this man, as you can see in the scriptures, was hardwired with a place of understanding that as a Levite, there were places that he was called to be and that there was others that he should not dwell in. So to remain with your tribe meant to stay under God's covenantal blessing with his people. See, the currency of God's kingdom is not riches, wealth, and honor. It's righteousness, obedience, and covenant. It's a different economy which evokes a generational blessing. Where you lived and where you established in this time was important because it determined what you received from God, either blessings in the land of Goshen, the place of plenty, or curses if you began to intertwine with other people groups that did not serve the Lord. This Levite, in the midst of his journey, wanted desperately to get back to the land of covenant, the land where he belonged. And as you read that portion of scripture and the preceding scriptures, you understand that his father-in-law kept delaying him from leaving and getting back to the land where he was trying to go. And I don't believe the father-in-law understood the drive within this man to dwell in a land of covenant, not 
convenience. Because see, when you are chosen by God to be a carrier of his glory, to be a carrier of covenant, he reveals himself in and through you. And you understand that the price tag upon covenant as the same with the price tag upon peace is not one that money could ever buy. But it's a covenant that will allow you to be blessed whether you have finances or whether you do not. The psalmist says this in Psalm 119, verses 37. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life in accordance to your word. If you have walked with God for any length of time, you understand that the word of God is a boundary marker. The word of God is a safety net for us. The word of God prevents us from going through things that we don't have to experience in our disobedience. The word of God preserves us. And so as we are on this journey of pursuit with God to walk in this place of covenant to blessing, to obey his promises, I encourage you to pray this very same scripture. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Covenant, safety, preservation. It all equals kingdom. It's a different economy. So here's a few things that I think we can learn from this Levite's journey. The first, and it's the title of my message, The Call of a Sojourner. The first thing that we learn is that as believers, we are sojourners. We are just passing through. We're passing through jobs. We're passing through educational institutions. We're passing through relationships. But we always are called to make a lasting impression in a way that says the Lord was surely amongst us. Continually on our assignment to fulfill the covenantal promises of God, the promises that were laid before Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and ones that we inherit as the church, we are always a part of this covenantal blessing and charge to fulfill covenant in the earth that the kingdom of God would be established on earth as it is in heaven. If you understand nothing more about your Christian walk and your salvation, understand that God has called you into the kingdom, not just to be saved and not just to say you're a Christian, but to fulfill the covenant of his kingdom like those who have sojourned before you. The second thing that we learn, and it's found in verse 17, The Bible says that when this traveler was seen, that the ability to be seen unlocked a measure of provision. When they were seen, they were asked, where are you going? Now, the word saw in that particular verse is important because it means that the traveler was recognized, this Levite was recognized as a person in need of provision. And in your journey, the same way as it was for this Levite, God will send people along your path that will provide for you that which you need as you are attempting to get back to a place of covenant. God will allow people to recognize you, to see the element of need within you so that they can be an extension of God's hands and feet while you are on a road to fulfilling God's covenant in the earth as it already has been established in the heavenly realms. Psalm verse 32, verse 8, chapter 32, excuse me, verse 8 says this. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. It's a promise to us. We never have to worry, will God show up for me? Will God leave me? Will God forsake me? Even if we've disobeyed, and I don't know about you, but I have disobeyed God more times than I could count. 
The word of God is a boundary marker for us. Never will God leave us and never will he forsake us. In Christ, our starting point and our ending point is always the same. It's Jesus. He is the alpha and the omega of everything that we are. He is the person that is a part and in charge of our covenantal blessing. But our identity in God is always unchanged because we belong to him. And the Bible said that the Lord changeth not. Another great lesson I have learned in life is this, that we are to never tie our identity to what we do, to what we have, to where we work, to where we go to school, that all these things are temporal. And the Bible says that they will all pass away. Job learned that. He learned the reality that the Lord can give and the Lord takes away, but he also learned that our desire and the petition of our heart and that which comes out of our mouth should always be the Lord gives and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Our identity is never tied to what we do, but our identity is tied to who we are. Children of covenant, king's kids, heirs of righteousness, period. And as we say in our present day hashtag facts. The third thing that we learn is this. Don't dwell in places that are absent of covenant. Don't dwell in places that are absent of covenant. I can attest to you there will be many invitations for you to go to various places. But when you go to places where you know that God has called you out of, you are entering into a space where you're surrendering yourself to another power and to another authority that is not of Christ alone. A part of having been redeemed from this world and have been saved and bearing the marker of Jesus Christ within our body is the ability to know that we carry something that is great that we possess something that is powerful and I don't want to contaminate the work of God that is within my life. So don't dwell in places absent of covenant. Be quick to forgive. Be sober-minded. Follow the great commission. I call these things our turning signals. One act of obedience opens the door to another dimension of God's provision. And finally, always begin with the end in mind. I make decisions based on where I'm going because I know who I am and I know whose I am. Remember, our identity dictates the type of decisions that we make. I make decisions that preserve covenant and lead me to a place of covenant to blessing because I want to dwell where God is. I know that the will of God for me is, I know what the will of God is for me, excuse me, because I have spent time in his presence. If you don't know what the will of God is for your life, I encourage you to spend time in his presence. And we are not too young to fast. We are not too young to pray. We are not too young to understand what the will of God is for our life right now, not just when we get quote unquote older. The best others can do is be a source of confirmation in our lives. But it alone is the Holy Spirit's assignment to be our global positioning system. He alone is our anchor. I leave you with this final passage of scripture found in Jeremiah chapter 17, verses five through eight. 
This is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They are like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness, in an inhabited salty land. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a river bank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. People will always have a plan for your life. I've learned that. And sometimes it's tied to their own pursuits for you, their own desires, their own wants, and even sometimes their own interests. And they can be well-intentioned and love you very deeply. And it's not an indictment of people. It's just a reality of the fallen state of our humanity. But as children of God and as bearers of this covenant of promise and blessing and as kingdom citizens, we belong to a different economy, the kingdom of heaven. The currency is different. We are simply sojourners just passing through. Our starting point and our end point is, however, the same. It's simply Jesus and the authority of his word that the surrendered believer gets to live out in their life. So I leave you with this in my final words. Knowing where you are tonight is just as important as knowing where you're going. Let God carve out the in-between in your pursuit of covenant and your ability to fulfill destiny. Let me pray for us. God, we're so grateful unto you for your word. And we thank you, Lord God, for even how beyond the time that we get to spend here in this chapel, your word will still penetrate within us. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would water and bring the increase to the words that have been uttered in our hearing tonight. Would you continue to wrestle within us so that we can uncover and unpack the truth that you want us to glean? I pray that these words would not pass over us, but that these words would take up root and residence within us. I pray for accountability partners for all my brothers and my sisters that are here that would challenge us and admonish us to obey your commands, not pick and choose which scriptures we're going to submit our lives to, but surrender our lives to the authority of this whole gospel so that the covenantal blessings of your kingdom could be on display in us, in our children, and in our children's children, so that we can say, surely we too are kingdom citizens in the very economy of God. Bless us for the balance of our evening and all that you will enable us to do until the day that you call us home. And may heaven tell the story of the great reward that we will get to reap from these words that you have shared with us tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.